0: So she immediately burst into tears and went into the bedroom. And I went back into the bedroom with her and I I knelt on the ground and I put my head on her very pregnant belly as the tears from her face bounced off the back of of my head. And I looked up at her and I said, I think I need to go back to the war. Uh, Because right now it's the only thing that makes sense. So my incredibly strong wife, Grab me by the cheeks like you will grow a toddler. And she said, she said, you're not going back. You gotta figure this out. And you gotta figure it out for me, and you gotta figure it out for our son.
1: If God has called you to be a parent, then he has called you to something amazing and terrifying and messy and stressful and isolating. But I am here to tell you that you are not alone. I'm Summer Shepherd, and this is no seriously, how do I do this? Have you ever had something in your life, either a role that you played maybe as a parent or as an employee or a skill or talent? You had a passion, a hobby, a community, something that you defined yourself by. Have you ever had that ripped away or altered in some way at the very least? Now, ever since Adrian left, our whole life has been in upheaval. My husband's deployed. He's been deployed at this point for about a month. And we have had to readjust so many things to compensate for that. Now it's it's me against all four kids <laughs> or me taking care of it, less combative that way, me taking care of all four kids in the house and working full time. And I gotta tell you, it's been hard. A lot of stuff has been going wrong. It's been stressful for sure, it's a challenge. But with my husband gone, there's been challenges for him that I don't think I fully understood. Until a recent conversation that we had. Hey. How's it going? It's going okay. (laughs) I have such a headache. Oh, my goodness. Babies screaming, kids not listening. The bathroom flooded again. (gasps) No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it it was rough. It was super stressful. And I've got to be honest, I didn't mean to dump on my husband. I didn't mean to burden him at all. But sometimes you just need to vent. So just just been one of those nights. I, I shut off the water. Oh, no. And I took some headache medication. <laughs> and that's true. It was stressful and it gave me a huge headache. It really did. Everything's fine now. Don't worry. But here's something that I learned as this phone call unfolded. My husband's, oh, no. <laughs> I, I thought it was sympathy. But as we kept talking, I came to realize how much it bothered him that he wasn't here when the bathroom flooded, that he couldn't help, that he couldn't fix it. Because for my husband, that's where he really found his identity was being a husband and a father, sure, but being that support. And so knowing that his family in his mind is vulnerable on the other side of the world without him, that even potentially more than missing us, That. Is what is getting to him because being taken away from his home and his role as support It shook his identity to its core And he is now in the process of you know Everything else that comes with deployment rediscovering himself in this new setting And so today this week We are going to be talking with tony miltonberger now tony Came from a very similar situation to my husband. Army reservist, ended up deploying a few times, family at home. And like so many others in this situation, he had an identity crisis. But it's not unique to soldiers. It's not unique to any of us. This is something we all struggle with and we're all asking, no, seriously, how do I do this? How do I keep moving forward when what I thought I knew about myself is taken away? So, Tony, um, to start off, first of all, thank you for being here. I loved meeting you in Nashville and just connecting over so many crazy things that we had in common. In learning your story, I learned that you are an Army Reservist, were, I should say, an Army Reservist, just like my husband. You deployed to the same place my husband just deployed to. And in many ways, our stories were similar. But before we get into all of that, I just want to know your family story in general. Sure.
0: Sure. So my wife and I are high school sweethearts and we both grew up Catholic. We grew up in the Catholic church in Dayton, Ohio, the birthplace of aviation, regardless of what North Carolina tells you.
1: (laughs) I was like, wait a minute.
0: (laughs) No, North Carolina got the license plate, but it really should say the birthplace of good wind. That's it. I live in the city where the Wright brothers opened the bicycle shop where they drew the planes drew the airplanes on. The plans are there. It's beautiful. Anyway, so uh, native Daytonians, um, we went to Chaminade Julianne High School, and we were in the same uh, youth group together. One thing led to another, and that's when I realized I wasn't going to be a priest, that I was going to marry this woman. And <laughs> I enlisted in the Army Reserve right out of right out of high school. As a matter of fact, I had to leave two days after we graduated for basic training. So I knew that God was calling me to something. And the chaplain corps in the Army Reserve has an option for chaplain's assistance. So basically, kind of unordained soldiers who want to do work of ministry for the Army. And I was like, yes, sign me up for that. And so, um, those first couple of years where I was in the Army Reserve and Karen and I were just dating, and I, I was deployed to El Salvador and to Germany. And then we got engaged on September. 9th of 2001.
1: Ooh.
0: Right. So this is, this is how this three day stint went. Uh, we got engaged September 9th. I turned 21 September 10th. And then September 11th, my unit went on alert. And up to that point in time in the Army Reserve, no one had ever thought about uh, war. Like it just wasn't something that we thought about very often. We didn't really train for it. We didn't prep for it. We didn't, you know, we just kind of did our thing. And um, we played in the woods a lot and did all the stuff that army guys love to do, shoot guns, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so that, that kind of changed everything. And we ended up getting married in 2003. And then I deployed in 2004. And uh, I was gone for a year. I tell people all the time that whenever I'm doing marriage stuff with couples, I was gone for eight months. I was home for two weeks. And, uh, and then I went back for my last four months and Karen sent me this email that said, call me right away. Very important, all caps. And so I, I get her on the phone and I'm like, Hey babe, what's going on? And she's like, Hey, we're, we're pregnant. And I was like, man, it was a really good two weeks.
1: <laughs> nice and efficient. <laughs> <Good use laughs> <the> time.
0: <laughs> it was a really great two weeks. And then I I tell guys all the time that if you can miss the first trimester of your wife's pregnancy and blame it on the global war on terror, you should absolutely do it.
1: (laughs) There you go. Pro tip, gentlemen.
0: (laughs) So yeah, and and my son Connor was born um, upon my return home. And then since then, we've we've added two more on, Caleb and Shiloh. And about a decade ago, I left the Catholic church to do um, ministry in a Methodist church, which I learned was pretty similar. And, uh, and God had kind of along the way reignited my call to serve others and, and help build the kingdom. I was deployed again from 2007 to 2008, and we did marriage and single soldier retreats for soldiers coming back from deployment and getting ready to deploy. And part of that was born out of my own pain and kind of shortcomings from coming back from my own deployment. There was a lot there in our marriage along the way, but my wife is my rock and she's incredible. And, uh, we just last February celebrated nineteen years of mostly marital bliss.
1: I feel like we kind of glanced over you coming back from deployment, and yeah, we struggled, and there was a lot of pain and shortcomings, and woohoo, 20 years. So okay, let's let's rewind a little bit. and would you mind sharing with us what that looked yeah. like? Because, as I mentioned, you know, we're in a place where my husband deployed, Sure and sure. I think there's a lot, especially as reservist family. We never actively expected that that would happen. We knew right. it was a chance, but we didn't even know how to prepare for something like that, and I don't think we still do. Would you walk us through what happened
0: yeah so i got I got back in September of two thousand and five and and for twelve months, I want you to imagine that we were running at a sprinter's pace like so everything that we did work wise was amazing it felt was heartfelt like it was It 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 felt like it was life or death. There were times that we were counseling soldiers. On Saturday, we would do incredible services. We would do eight different Catholic masses on Saturday, starting in the southern tip of the country we're in, all the way up to the northern tip. Everything was life or death. You know, we we honored the fallen. We counseled. It was just the intensity of the year was greater than anything I could have ever imagined. So, fast forward to coming home to Dayton, Ohio. I'm actually unemployed at this point, and I'm in my young 20s, and all of the incredible responsibilities that the army had given me, now I have nothing. And I was angry. I was depressed. And there was one day, my pregnant wife kind of wobbled her way into the living room. She's very pregnant at this point. And she said, uh, hey, babe, I need you to take out the trash. And I remember... The angst that I felt. And I said, The trash? Do you want me to take out? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've seen? And you're talking to me about the trash? Now, I don't ever recommend yelling at uh, your pregnant wife or yelling at your wife in general. So she immediately burst into tears and went into the bedroom. And I went back into the bedroom with her. And I I knelt on the ground and I put my head on her very pregnant belly as the tears. From her face bounced off the back of, of my head. And I looked up at her and I said, I think I need to go back to the war uh, because right now it's the only thing that makes sense. So my incredibly strong wife grabbed me by the cheeks like you will grow a toddler. And she said, She said, You're not going back. You got to figure this out. And you got to figure it out for me and you got to figure it out for our son. And that was really the next year of my life. It was figuring out my identity, my purpose, my mission, and how do I fill this sense of importance that the army gave me with something in this world that wasn't as life or death as that.
1: Yeah. And the reality is, I think that whether or not we are soldiers... We find ourselves in that place where our life just was going one direction so strongly. We had this clear vision of who we were, what we were meant to do, and why it mattered. And then whether it is an economic crash, or you're laid off at your job, or for one reason or another, your family moves and you lose your community, and, or you're just in a new life stage, that we, we often lose that sense of identity that we had and we find ourselves in crisis. And it's not just an internal crisis. Like you described, Like it's affecting your wife. It's affecting your family. So you said the next year of your life was reclaiming that part of yourself that was lost. What did that look like?
0: A lot of really bad jobs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but more than that, it, it looked like taking advantage of the resources that the Army had to offer. And so that year, oh five 05 to really 06, um, I went to every training that the army offered. I went to every um, certification that the army would give me about how to be in healthy relationships. And the army, to its its credit, did the math and strong marriages increased soldiers' productivities by over twenty five percent. Right. So think about that. Right. If if you're struggling at work, think about your marriage first. So they they put a lot of money into this program. And so so anytime there was a chance to go and learn, I went. And then eventually, in early 2007, this sergeant major called me and said, uh, "Hey, Sergeant Meltenberger, you know, you go to all these trainings. Have you thought about teaching it and and becoming one of our instructors?" And that kind of really started my sense of calling. Like it, it kind of it kind of struck it. Like, man, there's purpose again. There's a way to serve. There's a way to find find value in the work that I was doing. It's more than just a, a job again. Which turned out to just be a band aid. It wasn't the it wasn't the true fix, right? But it was a band aid, and it was a really good band aid. It was a healthy band aid. It was the band aid I needed for a season. Um, it wasn't getting to the wound, like the deep personal wound, but it it really helped me be present for my wife and for Connor, my son, and and figure out a way to to really deal with it until it it reared its ugly head and. 2012, 2013.
1: So 2007, you deploy again.
0: This time to Minnesota.
1: To Minnesota. Okay. So not not quite bullets whizzing past your head. on Different deployment,
0: right? It was a way different deployment. We were traveling around the Midwest doing marriage retreats and single soldier retreats.
1: Were there challenges in that particular deployment for you guys? I mean, you're, you're a part, again, you've worked on yourself. Was that all fixed or did new problems rear their head?
0: Well, the truth is, is that they were probably the same problems, but just different symptoms, which is learning how to communicate, learning how to Mm -hmm. be in a healthy communication structure, learning good boundaries for work and home. My wife is at home with our toddler and I'm sitting on the golf course in Minnesota because I have the afternoon off and we haven't Mm -hmm. seen each other in six weeks, right? They, they, They don't play well together all the time. Hey, babe, the roof is leaking. Hey, babe, what do you want me to do about it? You know, like there's just nothing I I'm not helpful. I'm around, but I'm not helpful. Yeah. And so that deployment offered a unique opportunity for us to really work on our communication skills, which luckily the army had trained us. I mean, like the training that we did, I can remember talking to my my mentor. He was a chaplain major at the time. I said, Sir, I don't feel qualified to help any of these soldiers with this marriage stuff because mine feels like a train wreck. He said Milt, because that's what they always used to call me. My last name's Milton Berger. Nobody wants to say that. So Milt, that's exactly why you're yes. supposed to be here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. How do I do this? Well, that's <laughs> that's how this, you know, podcast was born is I feel like sometimes it just takes someone being willing to go first and say, I yep. don't know either let's learn together, let's lean into the grace that's offered because we all need it. And there's just a lot that we are afraid to own up to and talk about. And so when you were doing those marriage retreats, I think that's amazing. Like The very thing that the Lord was working on, He gave you an opportunity to just turn around and disciple others while on that journey. And that's such a biblical model. It's not like we Mm, arrive and then turn around and teach our kids how to do it. A lot of times they're watching us while we're in the midst of the mess, and the same with friends and congregations, et cetera. So were there any instances during that deployment where you saw the Lord very tangibly working out the struggles that you had had to the benefit of somebody else when you were willing to be honest about it?
0: Yes, absolutely. There was some really lonely times when I was deployed in Minnesota. Again, so Karen was in the United States. I was I was living at a residence in, which sounds pretty awesome. And actually it was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> but those same vices to deal with that lack of identity, that lack of purpose, they, they reared their ugly head. And so it became an opportunity, uh, particularly to talk about with our soldiers, about you know, what are the things in your life that you're using to cope with your feelings? One of the worst calls I had to make that year was when my computer crashed because I had been looking at pornography, right? And and what a what a shameful kind of embarrassing thing is the way it felt in the moment, you know. And it's for sure a sin, and I had to repent and I had to call my wife and say, "Hey, babe, I need to spend three hundred dollars to fix my computer because I was on a space I shouldn't have been on." But you know what? Talking about that with the guys, the soldiers, man, every one of them are like, "Yes, no, I feel the same way." And, and you start to learn things, right? And, and you learn things about, man, how do we fill the hole that the adrenaline that we got on deployment gave us? The number one purchase for soldiers coming back from deployment? Motorcycles, mm-hmm. because they can be driven fast. So it really opened up an opportunity, not that we had any answers, because we, we didn't, but it opened up the opportunity to let the Lord in and really talk about what are good coping mechanisms, what are intentional community, what are the people in our life who are going to ask us the tough questions, you know, what are you doing with your time, talent, treasure kind of thing? What are you doing with your heart?
1: What were coping mechanisms that you either suggested or leaned into yourself during those days?
0: Fitness is a big one. Um most of my reactions, they need a physical reaction. Fitness, I'm a big believer in even if you don't work out hard, just move your body because it just changes things. Um and then My mentor, that same mentor, he and I started reading the Bible together, which is the first time I'd ever really been discipled. So he said, hey, let's read scripture together. And he knew that things weren't all sunshine and lollipops at home. And so he said, let's do it with our wives. And so for Christmas that year, Christmas of 07, I bought Karen the exact same Bible that I had, and we both bought brand new ones. So never been touched. And they were life recovery Bibles. So it was for people in addiction. And we started doing a Bible reading plan together and we would read scripture to each other on the phone in the evening. And that was that was a game changer for us because we one, we had never done that before. And two, it gave us a connection point that reminded us of the hope that we have in something bigger than this deployment or my struggles or her struggles or the crazy kids or all of that. Right. It became like this is something that we have to look forward to. That's not about us, but kind of is.
1: It's giving yourself permission to focus on your marriage. Because I feel like that's the thing is intellectually, we might know that a healthy marriage serves as the foundation for a healthy family, which serves as the foundation for a healthy community and such like that. But in the moment, there's always something to distract us. There's always something else demanding our attention that is maybe even audibly crying louder than our need for each other. And yeah. uh, so I think that is a beautiful, a beautiful example of prioritizing yourself and keeping your marriage focused on the Lord. Now, during that time, if your wife shared with you, what were some of the things that she was struggling with? That that as the person on the other side of the equation, you know, where you were struggling with sure. your lack of identity and such, what, what was she sitting with?
0: The, there was a lot of tension around the fact that I didn't really have any responsibilities once work was over. We obviously have a, a young child. We have a house. We have all the things that come with that. And she is, at, at this point in time, we have two kids, right? And so she's, she's wrestling the kids by herself. And I'm literally on the golf course two, three nights a week. I I lived at a residence in, so breakfast was made, dinner was made four nights a week, and we got to know all the people. You know, that just became like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm in the middle of a poker game. Hey, what are you doing? I'm hitting the golf course. What are you doing? She's like, I'm cleaning up your child's feces off the living room floor. <laughs> and again, right, as a reservist, one of the challenges is, is that I think this we saw this again in COVID, is that people isolate. So, so nobody really knew what it was like to be deployed in my wife's circle because it's, she's a reservist and we lived 50 miles away from our unit. There was no family readiness group, what we call the FRG. There were no FRG gatherings for me while I was gone that my wife could connect with. So she's like talking to her girlfriends. We're already pretty young. We're young and we're ahead of the curve. We're the only one that have kids. So all her friends are going out. I'm at the golf course and she's stuck at home with two kids under 5 going what did I get myself into?
1: Yeah. Oh, I feel that so much Tony. We're in a similar situation. We're over 50 miles from his unit. You know, he had a civilian job. He just went in for weekends. He was a weekend warrior for, you know, most of his time. And so there is that that isolation factor. That's true. And so you mentioned that you came back and something happened in 2012, 2013.
0: Well, so that same idea about identity, like it, it turns out if you don't actually deal with your demons, they come back.
1: Ah. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> <So, What? laughs> it's, it's
0: crazy. It's crazy. So I, I you know, I, I got a job in a local church and um, part of what I loved about the local church is that it's the closest thing that I've ever found to the army. Mm. It's uh, mission driven, right? So the, the warrior ethos, I will always place the mission first. I'll never accept defeat. I'll never quit. I'll never f- leave a fallen comrade. You could put that on a church shirt and people would wear it. You, you absolutely could, right? So, hey, plug me into a mega church where there's work that you could do for days and days and days. And all of a sudden, I'm righteous about the fact that I'm ignoring my wife and kids. Mm, yeah. And so, hey, I'm doing it for the Lord, babe. Like it's for the Lord. It's the same excuse I used for the global war on terror, but it just has a different name. The reality is in in 2012, 2013, I found myself in the midst of the hardest marital season of our life. Shiloh is born our third child. We've got three wonderful kids. She feels distant. I'm working all the time. She's frustrated. I'm frustrated. The things that I had had to say were not what she wanted to hear. Uh, I didn't feel very affirmed. she didn't feel very supported and And next thing you know, one of my coworkers, a young lady, comes into my office for wisdom, and she can't get enough of what I have to offer. So in a really short amount of time, I ended up in the midst of an emotional affair and mm-hmm. and And I knew it was bad, right? Like because I had done all this marriage work. You know, I was even in the process of publishing a, a marriage book right in 2014 so if you're not sure how the enemy works this is it here i am i'm in i've done all this marriage work i'm in the midst of publishing a marriage book and this very nice human walks into my office and all of a sudden we're talking to each other about work all the time and then all of a sudden now we're not talking about work and we're texting each other right when we get up and we're texting each other before we go to sleep and talking sometimes about work stuff sometimes we're talking about life stuff and the line between appropriate and inappropriate began to fade away and and i remember knowing like i don't know if you've ever been in these moments where it's like i'm in quicksand right now and the harder i try to get out the deeper i end up going so one day I, the the pressure of all of this just is is crushing me and so i walk into another pastor's office i'm a pastor at a church and uh, i walk into a buddy's office his name's james keith and i i said uh I said, James, Keith, I'm in a really bad way here, and I don't know what to do. I I feel like it's all collapsing around me. And he said, uh, said, I'm going to help you. And I said, great. Will you please just talk to her and tell her we can't be friends anymore? And he said, no, I'm going to do better than that. And I was like, well, what's better than that? And he said, if you don't tell your wife tonight, I'm going to tell her tomorrow. And I went home, and I had the hardest conversation with my wife that I've ever had. And I admitted that somewhere along the way, I gave part of my heart to somebody else. It was hard. It was horrible. It was, it was definitely the biggest sin of my life, but it also led to the biggest healing. Because along the way, what I realized is that I had coping problems. I had identity problems. I had surrendering what I thought about myself to Christ problems. And if it w- wasn't for that moment, I'm not sure that we ever would have got there. And it would have been a cycle of just beating back different socially acceptable sins.
1: I love that you can see that because I feel like so often we find ourselves in situations where we feel like, well, now it's all going to be better. Now it's going to mm. be fixed. Now my deployment's done. Now I'm actually out of the army. Like that is never going to be an issue again because I, I'm home and everything's going to get better. Or maybe right. maybe you struggle with you know, sexual addiction or pornography. And you're like, well, well, I'm about to get married. And once I get married, that's all going to get fixed. You know, it's not going to be a problem for me anymore. And then when you find that it is, it all hurts. And it's all so much bigger than it ever was before because you didn't yeah. think it was going to be a problem. And we've been there in our marriage. And, and I think that a lot of people listening have can probably identify with that as well. And, and recognizing that hitting that bottom Is the perfect place to be sometimes because there's nowhere to look but up, and so what did that look like coming out of that and healing from that season?
0: A lot of counseling. You know, I'm a big fan of of good counseling. So I've now been with the same counselor for almost a decade, and he and I meet at least once a month, whether I need to or not. Still to this day, right? And so one of the things I and I couldn't articulate it then, but the way I would say it now is that if you aren't dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. And so each of us have to make a decision on the disciplines that we want to to use to keep us in a healthy space. Disciplines are like guardrails. The disciplines that we have begin to create good behaviors. And, And I say all the time now, people don't fall in and out of love. They fall in and out of commitment. And it's not even commitment to the marriage, it's commitment to the disciplines of being married. Right? So th- there's a reason why we see Jesus go and pray every morning. That was one of his disciplines. There's a reason why he walked with guys. It's a discipline. right? And so we essentially, from that moment on, our rock bottom, we began to rebuild the disciplines of my personal life, her personal life, and our married life. And that really began with a counselor saying, You've got to pray over each other every night, and so throwback to two thousand seven. It feels very similar, except this time now we're physically praying over each other. So every night I ask God to protect my wife's head and her heart, protect it against evil. I pray a prayer of protection around her, and the same thing that we started to do with our kids. And then she prays for me. And what I've learned is that it's really hard to stay mad or resentful at someone that you have to audibly pray for every night. like It just changes your heart. Prayer changes your heart. So then date nights, boundaries around the opposite sex and friends and what that looks like, no password policies, just things that we needed to keep us in bounds.
1: I know you had mentioned earlier how when you had found meaningful work and you kept moving and you kept doing you were able to find yourself in a better space but because you had never dealt with the core issues they ultimately came back around what cautions would you offer someone who is trying to put all the disciplines in place but perhaps for them it's primarily behavior modification without the soul work what advice would you give to someone when it comes to how to reach reclamation on a soul level yeah so i I would
0: say that, well, this is what my counselor told me, and it's. I think it's really solid wisdom. On a scale from one to 10, anytime that you're above a six emotionally, it's always more about you than it is the other person. So if you're driving on the highway and somebody cuts you off and you spike to a seven, it's about you. If you spike to an eight, it's about you. If you're watching your kids play a sport and you joyfully spike to an eight, it's more about you than it is about them. Interesting. And so one of the things that he said is that if you can get yourself to acknowledge the places in your life where you spike emotionally, you'll find the core or at least the outskirts of your wound, the wound that you're trying to fill with these things, right? And so a great example in my own life, my wound has to do with being seen and validated. And it comes from my childhood and through years of therapy, I was able to kind of figure all that out, right? Feeling like I was left behind by my parents, who now in hindsight just did the best job they could do. And I know that now. But I know that if someone glosses over me, I spike. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just need to pay attention to that so that the outskirts of my wound become less mm-hmm. sensitive and I can just acknowledge the space, right? So if you, if you picture this wound on your arm when someone bumps up against it that's when you spike right and so when my kids dominate on the football field and i'm like let's go you know i'm spiking because i wanted to be acknowledged as they're being acknowledged
1: that's so interesting
0: it's a game changer
1: totally i mean cuz i feel like cheering on your kids or getting excited when they succeed that would be seen as a good thing but you're saying well The reason I got so excited had to do with the fact that I felt like I was winning because they were winning, and I I could see that in my kids. It's like, man, they look so cute today, or man, they did this really amazing, brilliant thing, and I get excited. I'll hit like an eight or nine, and it's like, well, I feel like a good mom because there's so many times that I struggle to feel like a good mom. And so, it's you're right. I guess in the even in those moments, it's less about them and it's more about about me. What an interesting concept. And that's not bad,
0: right? So, yeah, right. so I, you know, like that's the important part, right? It's okay. Everyone's like, "Oh no, no!" I'm, I'm just saying, I've got just, to live
1: at a four. I got to be depressed all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, just, just acknowledge it and live in it, and ask yourself the question: What about this has me so excited? Good or bad? Like angry or happy? Joyful? Whatever, right? Like, what about this moment has has bumped up against my core identity? that has got me thinking this is important. Right. And and now as a coach and somebody who does fellowship with Christian athletes now, one of the things I've realized is that our kids receive so much positive affirmation from sports that they'll continue to do it even if they don't love it. And it's not because of what they wanted. It's because we responded at an eight or a nine and we don't respond at an eight or a nine for just anything. You know, what's Craig or Shell say? What gets rewarded gets repeated if we continually reward things at a certain level and so that that began to shift the way i look at the entire world cuz now i'm like oh man i'm really happy or oh man i'm really sad or oh man i'm really whatever and i now know that that's not really about the other person you know and 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 i've even gone on to to really formulate a belief that it's impossible for my wife to make me angry instead i choose to be angry and i'm doing it on purpose
1: Interesting. I love this. Now, you are still working with couples, working with families in discipleship?
0: Yeah, all the time. I work um, for a nonprofit, but I I also, every couple that I've ever married, I give a a lifelong guarantee that as long as they want help, I'll give help. And so churches at times will bring me in to do marriage stuff. Or um, just today, I met with a a young couple who has a, a blended family and they they were like we just life is so hard <laughs> and i was like i was like i'm sorry it is hard i wish it would get easier for you pray together
1: <laughs> praying together i think that is so key you know that is something that i hate to admit my husband and i don't do as often as we should when we do it's magic and i feel like that's the case when it comes to for, for most people, exercising, getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, reading your Bible, it's like they feel so good when we're doing it. And yet, for some reason, it's so hard to get into those habits, even though they're so good for us. And I think that those are the very things we need to be pursuing. And so I know I'm going to be talking to my husband about our conversation. I'm going to make him listen to this episode and be like, All right, so what do you think about that? Let's, let's figure out with an eight-hour time difference how we're going to pull that off. But I I love that. Now, Tony, if there is someone listening right now and they're in the midst of crisis and they don't see it getting better, and they, you know, whether it's a deployment or just a crazy life situation that is leaving them floundering, what is, is one thing you say, stop what you're doing and do this to get them back on the right track? Is there one thing?
0: There's probably not one thing, but a good first step is to start reading. God's promises in scripture, right? And, and so so part of what happens when we're in utter despair is that we begin to make decisions out of our emotions. And so sometimes my emotions are always valid, but they're not always true, right? So my emotions are valid, but the narrative around them are not always true. So yeah. like the other day, my middle son said, dad, I feel like I don't, I see you less now than when you worked at the local church. And I was like, kind of wrecked. It hit a wound for me. And I kept like, I'm the worst dad ever. and, And that's that feeling that we get sometimes that feeling is valid, but the narrative is not actually true. And so we've got to get back to truth. And that's where scripture really anchors us. So I would say scripture, and then immediately go find someone who shares your values and talk to them. Don't do anything alone. In the recovery world, we say that you're most likely to make a bad decision when you're in a halt environment. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Read scripture, find a friend, and get wisdom that doesn't come from you. Don't trust the person in the mirror. If you feel like you're in chaos, don't trust yourself to make a good decision because there's too many things happening inside of you to really create a scenario that's going to be the best outcome.
1: Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you. And you know, I don't do this every episode, but I just feel like I would love if you would wrap us up in prayer and and praying specifically for those that are listening right now who find themselves in crisis and they're really not quite sure what the answer is for their marriage, for their relationships.
0: I'd love to. I'd love to. Father God, we humbly come before you now acknowledging your presence. Lord, we know that you are a good God and that that our current setting and chaos, it does not scare you. It does not define you. Lord, our emotions don't change who you are or what you promise for us. So Lord, I pray right now uh, for the person sitting in their car who feel so overwhelmed by their life. They don't know what to do next. I pray for the person on the treadmill or the elliptical who's just trying to run away from all of the things that feel so utterly out of control. Lord, I pray that your peace just descend upon them like a warm blanket. Cover them, Lord. Let them see the hope that comes in your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that they have the courage to open your word, to turn to the truth, and to ask for help. Lord, this body of believers, this thing that you call the church, we are meant to do it together. Give us the courage to step out of shame and into support. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your favor, and we thank you for the opportunity to connect with other humans. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, amen.
1: Whether your identity is wrapped up in your kids, in your work, or in your talents, whether your coping mechanisms to stress are healthy or destructive, until we focus our entire being on Christ, and it's a work in progress, trust me, I'm not there, goodness knows, then we are gonna struggle and we're gonna fall for the same things over and over. And I hope that Tony's honesty and his journey, and the lessons he learned, and the failures he made, and his willingness to divulge them for the edification of you. I am praying you are blessed this week. And if there's anything else that we can be praying for you about specifically, let me know, shoot me an email, summer at (laughs) seriouslyhow.com. And you can always follow us along on Facebook. We would love to connect with you there. And if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast or rated this podcast, would you be willing to do so? It's going to help other people find it as well. And as always, today, tomorrow, forever, never forget that you are loved and you are not alone.